Hey, welcome to White Oak. My name is Nathan Hinkle and I am the lead pastor here. It's so good to have you with us today. We've been in a series that we've been calling One Another. Now Jesus told us in John chapter 13 that the whole world would know him. They would come to know him because of our love for one another. And it wouldn't be because of what we know about God or what we believed is true. It would be because of our love. So we talked about how we all have this bucket, right? And we, we choose each day what we put into that bucket. And, and the idea is what we choose to put into that bucket is what we will become. So if we put lots of self-gratifying things into our bucket, uh, we'll become selfish. If we accumulate lots of things and put it into that bucket, it's going to show in what is most important to us. If our input is anger or resentment or cynicism, then that will be our output as well. So Jesus says, if we fill our bucket with love, then we can actually become love. And our love will show others who he really is. Now, this isn't easy. In fact, this isn't our natural inclination. If it were, Jesus wouldn't have to give us a command to do it. See, you and I don't need commanded to do things that we are naturally good at doing. So if it were easy, if it were just second nature, I wouldn't need to tell my kids to empty the dishwasher. They would just do it, right? But I have to tell them often, every day, multiple times, right? If it were easy, we'd be loving people who are hard to love at work, uh, the kids at school who don't seem to fit in anywhere, the neighbors who kind of offend us, the people who, who believe or think or look different from you. See, we're, we're going to do a, a little experiment here right now, okay? I'm going to toss up onto the screen here in just a moment some images of some familiar things, and I want you to consider and make note of the first thing that pops into your head. First image here. Yep, it's the Bengals logo. What are you thinking about? Second, Starbucks. Yeah, how about this one, Chick-fil-A? All right, they know how to do chicken. Uh, another one, the NFL or NBA. Maybe a little something different there. How about this one, Make America Great Again? Now that feels a lot different than chicken did. How about this one, Black Lives Matter? Now, I didn't show, like in those images, a single face, a person, right? But most of us likely put a face with those images and a series of beliefs and attitudes that go with them. A face maybe with, with your or my opinions or judgments attached to that face. A face that we've possibly never had a conversation with or hope to gain understanding or to learn something from. See, if we are going to be a people, a church, like we're called the body of Jesus for Cincinnati, we need to stop judging people based on their yard signs and start seeing them as Jesus sees them. In fact, that's our big idea for today. And here it is. It's not how you see them that matters. What matters 
is how Jesus sees them. It's not how you see them that matters. What matters is how Jesus sees them. See, Jesus shares this story recorded by Luke in his narrative of Jesus' life, and it's found in the New Testament of the Bible. We're going to look in Luke chapter 18, starting with verse 9. Here's what it says. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told them this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, now, let's stop there for a second. A Pharisee, just so you know, is a Jewish religious leader. They were the religious elite of their day, and they set the standard for everyone else to follow. Now, tax collectors, on the other hand, were Jews who worked for the Roman government, and they were hated for their often corrupt and violent tactics in order to overtax and steal from their own people. But Jesus goes on, and let's keep reading here in verse 11. So the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, those robbers, those evildoers, adulterers, or or even like this tax collector. I I mean, after all, God, I, I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now, Jesus goes on in verse 14. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, I want to look carefully here. Because Jesus is actually giving us, you and me, a roadmap. It's a path to follow as to how we will become love. And no matter your faith background or what you believe about God, we might discover here a few things to fill our buckets and we'll be better off for it. And so will everybody we come in contact with. You see, those who are becoming love have little confidence in themselves, but have a lot in God. Those who are becoming love have little confidence in themselves, but have a lot in God. See, when we judge other people, there is this underlying assumption that we are doing better than they are, at least in some area, right? I mean, in some way, we're doing better than they are. There is a subtle or or not so subtle accusation that we are more right or we are on higher ground. When we judge other people, we are automatically putting a high level of confidence in ourselves and in our viewpoints and in our opinions. Several years ago, I was headed to the gym with a friend of mine. And at some point during our workout, this guy walks up to me, and I don't know him, but he's pretty big, and and you can tell by looking at him, he's pretty serious about what he does in the gym. He's also pretty intense, though, as he approaches me, and he asks me what I'm taking. Now, (laughs) it's important to know that I have veiny arms, okay? Apparently it's a thing and I always have. So, and also it's apparent that I guess some people desire to have their veins like protrude from their arms. So he wasn't commenting on my size, though that would have been nice, 
But instead, he was asking me what kind of supplement or drugs I was taking to get the veins in my arms to pop out. All right, this is, so this is what he says to me, what are you taking? So this guy was passing some judgment, right? Based on the way that I looked. He saw me and assumed something about my motivation for being in the gym or my diet or my desired results and the lengths that I'd be willing to go to get those results. So see, I too passed judgment. Now my encounter with this guy left me thinking, wow, this dude is really definitely on something and he's also kind of crazy. Now I saw him as desperate and sad and I can still laugh about that story now, but I judged him. And honestly, I felt like I was a little higher than him. Well, higher than him, all right. See, if we see a relationship with Jesus as the opportunity to prove that we are religious enough or we're good enough or to prove that we believe the right things and the better things or, and that when convenient, that we can behave the right way. See, we pave the way for judging others who fall somewhere below those standards, however low or high we've set them. See, we stand in front of our temples and we compare. So we can say, well, at least we go to church more often. We put in more volunteer time than they do. Or I have a better job, more money. I have nicer things because I've worked hard and earned what they chose not to. Or, you know, at least uh, we aren't like them. And, and, And picture the types of kids at your school that represents them, right? Or I can't believe they're voting for him or that they support that idea. See, if you've ever began a phrase or a thought with at least we or at least I, or if you refer to people in they statements, then you might have a higher confidence in yourself and in your own viewpoints than you do in God and how he sees people. See, our problem with following Jesus is that we are oftentimes trying to become better versions of ourselves rather than more accurate reflections of him. See, Jesus didn't die so that you and I could shoulder up to someone else and say, well, at least I can become a better person here, or at least I can become better parents maybe than that, or maybe we can become better leaders than over here, or more successful in life than others. He died so that our love would point people to the full and abundant life that they have in their Heavenly Father. And those who are becoming love develop a higher confidence in God's ability to mold us to be more like Jesus than what we can accomplish ourselves by being better or more right. See, our big idea is it's not how you see them that matters. What matters is how Jesus sees them. So people who are becoming love, they also do this. They trade in the appearance of being close to God for the power of actually being close to him. See, we all like to look good, don't we? 
I mean, most of us want to at least put our, our, our best out there, the best version of ourselves out there for people to see, or at least we want them to see something right in us that they'll think is the best version of us. Now, I know that I told this story sometimes before, but I'm going to share it with you again because it's one of the most shameful things I think I've ever done in my life. And so if you've heard this before, forgive me, but um, here we go. All right. My freshman year in college, I saw it as an opportunity to reinvent myself a bit, to put like this version out there. You know, it was like a new school year. It was a new school. I was going to meet all new people. So I thought, what better opportunity to show the world a whole new Nathan Hinkle, right? Someone uh, cooler, someone more relevant than the Nathan that um, existed in high school, right? So what did I do? Well, it was the 90s. So I did whatever self-respecting 18-year-old guy did to impress the people around him. I got an ear cuff. Now, I know what you're thinking, an ear cuff? Now, if you grew up in the 90s, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But if you didn't, it's okay, let me tell you. This wasn't an earring. There was no piercing involved. I wasn't ready to take that leap, okay? But it was like literally a cuff that just like hooked over the top edge of your ear. And it looked cool. I mean, I was cool. I was able to walk around campus with this confidence showing this side of me that never really existed in the first place. So the Pharisee, this Jewish religious leader in Jesus' story, would love to appear better or, or writer or, or higher because he wants to put this persona out there. And the truth is, most of us have been posers at one time or another. I was, and I still am in many ways. Man, there are times that I talk about things here um, so passionately because I want them to be true about me and about my life, but I'm going to tell you what, they're not. Sometimes they're not. They're not yet anyway. I mean, come on, social media exists so that we can pose an image which captures a reality that we want people to see, but really only exists in our heads and in our dreams. And we're all posers in some form or fashion, teenagers, moms, dads, all of us. So we have an idea of who we want to be. So while we're getting there, it's so easy to pretend that we're more mature or we're smarter or even believe in God and do right and good things more than we actually do. So Luke writes this history of the church in the first century. It too is in the New Testament of our Bible and it's the book of Acts. And in Acts chapter 5, he tells a story of Ananias and Sapphira, a husband and wife duo who are part of this new startup church in Jerusalem. And man, like, kind of like when things are new for, for you and I, man, there was excitement to be part of a community of believers who were connecting people to full life in Jesus. And that was Ananias and Sapphira. So as the other partners in the faith community were selling off possessions and, and giving the money to the church leaders, which then they used to distribute to the poor and the marginalized in their city to further the church's mission, these two sold off some land as well. And they told the church leaders that they gave all of the proceeds to the ministry when in fact they had held some back for themselves. Now, what's the problem? 
Well, the truth is, and Luke tells us this, that the money was theirs to do with as they pleased. However, they wanted to appear more generous than they actually were. And they lied to the church and they lied to God. And as an example of how serious God is about genuine faith, expressing itself in love, Ananias and his wife Sapphira were struck dead. It's a shocking story. But here's the point. People who are becoming love stop faking it about who they are and, and where they are in their lives and in their faith. See, faking it, it gives us a perception of ourselves and therefore of other people, which isn't accurate. And it blocks the way forward for love. And as you point people to the heart of our Heavenly Father, people who don't look like you, people who don't have the same background as you, people who don't vote like you, I promise you, you will discover yourself being drawn more closely to the heart of our Father as well. See, it's not how you see them that matters. What matters is how Jesus sees them as a son and daughter of our Heavenly Father. And you can't point people there if you're simply posing. So people who are becoming love also do this. They realize that they are just as much in process of becoming as everyone else. Now, there isn't a person in, in, watching today who has arrived at the destination of love and empathy toward other people. No one. In fact, we all have miles to go on that journey. So if you think that you get it, you don't. If you think you know what the issues are and the solutions to all of those issues, you don't. If you think our world would be a better place if everyone just thought like you, and I've said that, and that's part of the problem. Listen, when we realize that we are all in process of becoming what God is forming in us, then we can love unhindered those around us who are in the same boat. See, people who are becoming love keep it real about who they are right now while living in constant anticipation about who God is helping them become. So if you haven't arrived morally or arrived intellectually or spiritually, like if you can admit that you're a child of an incredible dad in heaven who isn't anywhere close to being done with you yet, then you'll be able, then you'll be able, you and I will be able to see other people through that lens too. You see, the goal of love is not to win people over to your side, but to help them discover their identity and their potential in the eyes of their heavenly father. See, these are gonna be great 
bucket fillers for us to take note of. And I want to share two quick things with you uh, here really quickly. See, people who are becoming love fill their lives with people who don't look like them or act like them or believe the same things as them. And they treat those people with love and respect and are more eager to learn from them than presume that they have something to teach them. So fill your bucket with those people. Fill your bucket with this. Read a book. Listen to a podcast. Gain perspective on what other people experience in this life. And then you'll be equipped to consider how your love may point them to Jesus. It's not how you see them that matters. What matters is how Jesus sees them. And he wants them because he loves them just as much as he loves you. See, Jesus shares with us that the greatest commandments are to love God and to love our neighbors. And everything hinges on these two loves. And I'm going to just be straight up with you. I'm not quite there yet. I don't love God with all of my heart or mind or soul or strength like he's asking me to. I have not arrived. You see, Jesus never had a problem with people who knew their shortcomings. He died because of our shortcomings and our sin, which separated us from our Father. And he loves us and he calls us into his love. His love is what sets us free and motivates us to love other people. And he never had a problem with people who could admit, like that tax collector, that, God, I don't have this figured out. But he didn't tolerate people who faked it. Church, it's time to put aside our self-righteous assumptions about ourselves. It's time to put aside our judgments about what God is is or is not up to in the lives of the people around us. I want to close with this quote from Bob Goff and his book, Everybody Always. He says this, There is no love without justice, but there's no justice without love. I don't think we have any business telling people what to change in their lives unless we are willing to change a couple things in ours. For me, this means taking a step back from my pride, washing feet, and treating my enemies with the kind of selfless love Jesus didn't just talk about, but demonstrated. So White Oak, this is my challenge and my call and my prayer for us. Let us go and do likewise.